Good morning. Hey, good to see y'all today. It is so good to be home. I missed y'all. Um, if you weren't aware, I got to go and preach um, at my old church, Bangs, uh, Bangs First Baptist Church. Got to preach a revival there. Thoroughly enjoyed being with those folks. But I got to tell you, sleeping in a hotel room, glad to be home, glad to be in my own bed, glad to be with God's people here in Cherokee, Texas. Um, so good to see you. If you're visiting with us, you've never uh, been with us before or haven't done this yet, would appreciate it. You don't have to. We're not going to harass you about it, but we'd love if you could take out your phone. You know, you can actually take a picture of this little squiggly thing down here. It's called the QR code, and it will. It should, um, when you bring up your camera, it should give an option for you to, uh, to go online and fill out a card. Uh, there's actually a bulletin there, all kinds of great stuff. Um, and if you're online, you see that as well. It'll take you there. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here with us today to get to worship the Lord together. Um, you know, there, there are people that gather at different times during the week. They don't worship like we worship. They worship, they, they go to a river, and, and they worship something at a river. They, they worship trees. They worship all kinds of dead things that cannot save and cannot do anything for them. But every Sunday when we come together, we remember that our Savior died and He's no longer dead. The tomb is empty. He's at the right hand of the Father and He gives us reason to live. He gives us hope in the day in which we live. And so that's why we're here. And I hope you're ready to go this morning because I'm fired up. Um, let's uh, just take a few minutes and look at the bulletin, uh, some announcements um, Center Kids Summer Camp, if you hadn't had a chance to uh, register, let Jerry know that you're going. Make sure you visit with Jerry, let him know. Uh, you can see the dates in there and who that applies to. Also, it's Vacation Bible, Bible School time. Uh, it's going to be the 13th to the 17th, so the day has been moved. And if you would be interested in helping, um, if you would uh, go after next Sunday's morning worship service to the Fellowship Hall, they just want to get a quick head count of who would like to help. So make a note of that. Um, other announcements? I, I don't think I'm... Michael? Next Saturday, we're going to have a fish fry fundraiser trying to help those people that got burned out during the pandemic. People in Carbon and around the area. Uh, we're going to serve uh, at 6 o'clock. We have several young men that are going to leave the cooking. We have...
Amen. Thanks, Michael. Um, you may not be aware of this, but I went to school at Carbonford from 1979 to 1986, and we had a farm east of Carbon um, on a farm to Market Road, and uh, so that place still has a huge place in my heart. So, um, yes. Okay. Yes, if you're listening online, we're going to have a, a fundraiser for the folks at Carbon and areas around Carbon. Um, that lost so much in the fire. So we're going to have 6 o'clock a fundraiser meal here at the church. So we'd love to, to, um, to have you come and be a part of it. So thanks. It's Saturday, this coming Saturday, 6 o'clock. Thank you. Hopefully I got all the information out there. Okay. Uh, a couple of thank you cards I need to read. Um, received this before I left for the revival. And this is from uh, our Gideon representative. He said, I really enjoyed all aspects of the service. Your gift of $920 will purchase, and I don't, know if he, I don't know if he means 920 would purchase this many of this one or this many of this one. Anyway, 767 foreign scriptures, 575 uh, U.S. New Testaments, 184 Bibles. 35% of the money we gave will stay in San Saba and Mills County. That's $322. 10%, $92 will go to our military. And the rest will go to the 185 countries around the world who need our help. He says, may Cherokee Baptist be a lighthouse in Cherokee and the surrounding areas. And then from Nell uh, and Chuck Foreman, to the Cherokee First Baptist Church, I want to thank the many people who prayed for me and took time to call me and all the beautiful cards that were sent to me when I had surgery. It really meant so much to me. I'm sure all went, all went well due to the many prayers for me as the Lord is the great healer. Thank each and every one of you. I so value such great Christian friends. Our love to you all with love in the Lord. Nell and Chuck. So that's, that's wonderful. Anything else before we have a call to worship? <clears throat> All right. Um, I want to read to you a song uh, that I listened to this morning. It's a hymn, um, and it's just a, a beautiful hymn. Um, and it, it fits so well with what our world is going through. <clears throat> this is called, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised to him, with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Let's stand and worship together.
this morning just confessing to you that, Father, all that's going on in this world between the fires here in our own state, the ungodly things that are happening in other countries, the ungodly things that are happening in our country, God, I confess to you this morning, it's a little overwhelming all the way to my very own home, to the kids that I work with. God, apart from you, I have no hope. And so God, as we come this morning to worship, I pray that God, it wouldn't be about an emotional experience, but it would be about the truth of who you are, that you are our advocate, and there's nothing on earth that is outside of your control. God, we worship you this morning. Be glorified in us. that time of year when we're giving to North American Missions. Uh, we are currently giving toward our $6,000 goal, uh, which is part of the $170 million. $170 million. $70 million. Man, that wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? $170 million to North American Missions. But the goal is $70 million, and, and we are $4,100 on toward our $6,000 goal, so $1,900 left to go. If you haven't had a chance to give uh, to North American Missions, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, I encourage you to do that. Pray and ask the Lord how he might ask you to sacrificially give uh, for this. Um, as usual, we take this time of year to be reminded about how God uses these particular funds that we give. 100% of them go um, to uh, the work that's done on the field. There is a slide I wanted to put up here. Next one, Rodney. Tracy, whoever. Oh, yeah, there's 4,100. Next one, please. God is bringing the nations of the world to America. And that seems to be true now more than ever. And the need for chapels and other aid is immediate. Now, notice who said that. Not the man on the left, not the person on the right, but Annie Armstrong. And uh, I don't know when she said that, but she lived in the 19th century. So the need was great then. The need is great now. 
And so we have an opportunity through our prayers and our giving to give toward what God is doing in America by bringing nations to our doorstep. So let's watch this video and we'll see what God's doing. I was raised in a Christian home, but I gave my parents a really hard time. And so I finally decided to join the military because I wanted to do something hard and actually finish it. And it was actually towards the end of my military service when I gave my life to Christ. And having spent time in the Army, I know uh, that it can be a really spiritually dark place. They're young. They're far from family for the first time. They don't have maybe a lot of good influences. A lot of broken homes, marriages struggling, addiction, a desperate need for the gospel. There's a lot of young Marines here, and they're living in the barracks. When we started this church, we knew that that was an area that God was calling us to reach, to host Marines for a Marine dinner. Once a month is where it started. To have something like a dinner that they can come to and just be themselves and sit on a couch and eat a warm meal is really impactful for them. More and more guys started coming, and we baptized our first Marine last summer, and then that Marine led to another Marine and another one to the point now where every week we're seeing fruit. This church, like, means business. Uh, they don't, they are not okay with you just punching your church card every week. <laughs> it was obvious that this was a church that was doing church like the Bible says we should do church. I feel encouraged every time I go to church, like, I wish every day was Sunday. When people give to Annie Armstrong, it enables churches like ours to reach military members and their families with the gospel. Washington, D.C. is a city with many, many nations. So to have a gospel-centered, healthy church here is reaching not only the people in this city, but cities all across the world. The military is already moving people around, and as they're moved from place to place, they can take the gospel with them. It's exactly what Jesus has called us to do, and God is changing people's lives. God's Word. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. It's also going to be on the screen if you'd like to read it there. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and is yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for, our own sin, for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor, this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, 
uh, was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, You are a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able excuse me, to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, you are our only hope. And oh, for the day that temptation stops and our own striving ceases. But as of now, we come to you, Jesus, because you are our high priest. And we worship you this morning because you alone are worthy. Do what pleases you this morning, Father. Do in us what raises you before men.
There, that's better. I would ask you, if you would, please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find one in the pew somewhere around you. New American Standard Bible. If you'll turn to the back, find page, and it's not listed on there. What page is that in the bulletin? What is it? 185. 185 and in uh, the back of the pew Bible. Um, it's way back in the back there, close to Revelation. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. If you're still in Paul's letters, you're not quite there yet. Well, we are currently, as a church, uh, we're in a sermon series called My Jesus, I Love Thee. We're taking uh, aspects that describe Christ in Scripture and use them to, to kindle our love for our Savior. We've looked at many different ones. He's our altar. Um, he's the master uh, of the, the house. Um, he's the captain of our salvation. He's our altar. Um, we've done a number of these. And this morning, we're going to, uh, in 1 John 2, 1 through 6, uh, let John uh, and what he's written through the Holy Spirit speak to us about Christ our Advocate. would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We will look at 1 John 2, 1 through 6. And this is God's Word. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray together. Lord God, I come to you now and I pray um, that the next 30 minutes or so uh, would just be bathed with the presence of the Holy Spirit as He illuminates to our hearts the glorious truth of Christ, our Advocate, and what that means for us. Lord, we also pray that the power of the Word, its authority, would be on full display, that the Holy Spirit would help all of us to see that what is written here brings you glory and it is for our good. Lord, we admit uh, that we are weak, uh, that so often what we know we ought to do, those are the things that we don't do. And the things that we know we should not, those are the things that like a moth to a flame we seem to gravitate towards. Lord, we also ask that uh, if there are any here that don't know Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that through the preaching of your word, which, Lord, you promised in your scripture, uh, that when Christ is lifted up, and we will lift him up here today, that you will draw all men to yourself. So we pray, God, that through the preaching of the word, you would draw sinners to yourself. Lord, that today would be the day that their heart, their dead heart, would be raised to newness of life, that dry bones would live, and that they would walk in newness of life this day. Lord, bless this time for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you read the book of 1 John, uh, which we took some time, um, I'm not sure how long ago it was, 
and I preached a sermon series through 1 John. Uh, 1 John is a book that um, seems to have an odd flow to it. If you compare it with a book, like it's written by the Apostle John. This says nothing about, about him as a person, that he's, not, uh, he's, that he's incoherent when he writes. He's written the Gospel of John. He's very coherent there. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires. Uh, but it's more straightforward. You can kind of see what John's doing. He's going through Jesus' life. But the first John seems to be a bit circular. And there can be some ways that if you don't really understand exactly what it is, how John's trying to speak to us, um, through his writing, it can be uh, something that kind of bogs you down because you're kind of looking for a flow. But John's letter, uh, he is writing uh, to a group of people uh, that are struggling in different ways. Um, there's, there's sin in the church that he's confronting. Um, but here in this particular text that we look at this morning, um, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's the focus this morning, is our advocate. Now, in this text this morning, um, uh, there are five points I want to make this morning. And, and four of those are going to be for believers. And if you are an unbeliever, the fifth point is going to be for you. So you're going to, you're going to have to wait um, on, on that point. Uh, but hopefully, uh, that doesn't mean that you have to wait for the Holy Spirit to work on you. I pray and trust that He will the whole way through. Uh, the first truth for the believer this morning from John is a very simple truth. It's this truth. We are able not to sin. We are able not to sin. Now, look again in verse 1. Paul writes, John writes, My little children. Now, this is not a, a, he's not talking down to them. This is a pastoral term. It's a term of endearment. He loves these people so much, just like they were his own children. So he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So the first truth for the believer in this text is, if you are a believer, you are able not to sin. Now we live in a day where, unfortunately, people have taken the word sin and, and kind of treated it like it's, it's, it's clay. You just kind of mold it and make it into whatever your definition of sin is. But let me give you a definition. If you've never heard one before, I think this is very useful. It's any disobedience or transgression of God's law in thought, in word, or in deed. Any disobedience or transgression of God's law in thought, word, or deed. Now notice what the standard is in that definition. It's not feelings. It's not whether something is legal one day and illegal the next. It's not the winds of culture. It has nothing to do with laws that are passed in Washington, D.C., God's law is the standard. Now, there's two terms in there that I'd like to uh, kind of flesh out a little bit more, and those are disobedience and transgression. Disobedience means that we're actively sinning. God has forbidden things in His law, and we do those actively. So disobedience is doing what God forbids. Now, transgression comes at sin a little bit different way. Transgression, it's not just enough to... Um, to, uh, to, to not do what you're not supposed to do. I think we understand that. We're supposed to avoid things. We're not supposed to do the things that God forbids, but we're also supposed to follow in obedience. It's not just about not sinning, it's about obeying. And we transgress God's law when we are not being or doing what He requires. So 
we are inactive towards sin and that we don't want to disobey, but we're inactive toward God and that we don't want to be or do what He required. So it's two different types of, of coming at sin. One's active, one is inactive. It's inactive uh, sinning because you're not being or doing what God requires. Now, that definition in place, I want us to, to stop for a minute and think biblically about the power of sin. And it's going to take us all the way back to Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were formed. Um, and, and Adam was able not to sin. The power of sin had no dominion over him. But we know that God gave him choice. He gave him uh, a command. Shall not eat of this tree. Adam ate of the tree. He fell. And when he fell, then sin had power over him. And that meant that all of Adam's sons, and what I mean by Adam's sons, is not just his natural progeny talking about all of those people in the world who were born after him. So Adam sinned and sin spread to all people. So Adam's sons, I was at one time Adam's son. Adam's sons are unable to keep from sinning. Lost people, unbelievers, are unable to keep from sinning. Sin has power over them. But Christ, the second Adam, came. And when he came... He was unable to sin. Sin had no power over him. And because he died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day, he broke the power of sin. So those who come to him and believe in him, Christ's sons are able not to sin. We walk in the fact, the truth, that Christ broke the power of sin. And in the resurrection to come, our new and glorified bodies, praise God, will be unable to sin. But believer, I do need to ask you a question. Do you believe that you're able not to sin? I mean, it's one thing to put the truth on the screen for us all to read. It's quite another to believe it. Do you believe that you are able not to sin? Now again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection in this life. We won't achieve that. It's about growth in holiness. It's that we, are, we, we understand what sin is, any disobedience or transgression of God's law and thought, word, or deed. And, and we want to grow in, in being less of a sinner because Christ has broken the power of sin. Do you believe that you are able not to sin? The Apostle Paul believed it. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 6.13 Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Paul believed... That believers are able not to sin. Not only Paul, but James believed it. James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able 
also to bridle his whole body. Jude believed it. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jesus believed it. He tells the woman caught in adultery, from now on, go sin no more. John believes it. Verse 1, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now when John says, I'm writing these things to you, I really believe that John knew he was writing Scripture. Wouldn't that have been something? To be the person through which God was writing Scripture? Man, that must have been an awesome experience. Scripture. It's not just something that catches dust on our shelf. It is meant to point us to Christ to sal- for, for salvation. It's meant to help us to grow in holiness and sanctification. King David understood that truth. He asked in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? And he answers, By guarding it according to your word. He says in verse 11, I have stored up some... Translations say, I have treasured up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then in verse 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So believer, are you using the word, the light that God has given you to walk in this dark world? Remember, when Christ was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, what did he do? He picked up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He quoted from Deuteronomy. We are able not to sin. We're talking here about sanctification. That's a technical term. Just simply means, you think of justification being, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. And sanctification as I am being saved from the power of sin. And so therefore, we should be able to make progress in our sanctification. We won't be perfect, but we can make progress. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. When you say, man, someone seems to be really off the beaten path in their sanctification. In fact, if you look at them, you wonder, man, that profession of faith um, that they made, Years and years ago, um, where's, where's the evidence for that? An explanation I've been given a lot of times is that's just how that person is. They're just that way. Now, do you really want me to believe that that person has been born again when Christ, when he saves someone, he makes them into a new creation with a new life? And, and yet it's, It's not there. They're not demonstrating the ability not to sin. So friends, we are able not to sin. The second truth this morning from John for the believer is this. We are able to obey. Verse 3 through 5, John says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Stop there. In Christ, we just learned that the power of sin is broken in the believer. But not only that. One power is broken and another power is released in us. We are given the power to obey God. And again, I ask you, I ask us, do you believe this? 
You believe that you are able to obey. Well, John believes this. Look in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. If you think about like the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters talk about all that Christ has done for us. And then in the last three chapters, it talks, it transitions to because of what Christ has done, therefore we are to do as His followers. So we know that Christ's done lives in us when His done leads to our do. I'll say that again. We know that Christ's done, what He did on the cross for us, that it lives in us when His done in us leads to us doing. Now John might say, if if this was a a bread recipe, verse 3 might read like this. And by this we know that we put yeast in the dough if the dough rises. If you were to go up to someone and say, I don't think your dough is rising. Or they say, well, you don't know my heart. You, you just don't know my heart. I've got a good heart. Well, there's nothing rising. You're sinning through Inaction through a failure and a refusal to obey, and it betrays your heart that the yeast of Christ isn't rising in your heart, making changes in your life. John believed we're able to obey. Jesus believes we're able to obey. John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 10, he continues, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, John, in this particular book, and I think we brought this out when we were working our way through it as a congregation, he loves to write in contrasting black and white terms and concepts, like light and dark, uh, light, uh, I'm sorry, death and life, love and hate, truth and lies. And in verses 4 and 5, he has this contrast between a person who doesn't keep his commandments, God's word, and a person who does keep the commandments and the word. The first person, let's look at him, is described in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the person that shows no evidence of the yeast of Christ in their life does not keep his commandments. John says that person is a liar. You like being called a liar? You know, that raises the hackles up. You know, you just, you're about ready to punch somebody's lights out, but what if it's the kindest thing someone could ever say to you? I I don't... You know, John says here that if the yeast of Christ is not producing change in you, causing you to obey His commandments, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Because this is what we know. God's truth is transformative. Now, I can tell you that water is wet and you won't go home changed. You might go home thinking that you need to change churches, but you won't go home changed. But if I share with you the truth of Christ Jesus, what he's done on the cross, you will be a different person. It just is the way that works. So the one who keeps his commands has been and is being transformed. So the question is for us, for you, are you being transformed? 
Is there evidence that the yeast of Christ is changing you? If not, I do want to ask you a serious question. Where does your assurance lie? It's not that your name is written in the front of a Bible. It's that you see the changes taking place in your life because Christ's done has led to your due. The second person we see in verse 5, it starts with the word but. Sometimes that three-letter word but is one of the most theologically profound and exciting words in all of Scripture. Because they're about to say something that's so important that you need to realize that there's a big contrast between what came before and what comes now. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is, per- is perfected. The second person does keep the commandments and has assurance of salvation. John says, we know. Look again. We know that we have come to know him. We can see the change in our lives. God's love is perfected in us. In other words, when God showers His love upon lost people in Christ, making them His own, when they are reborn, because God is love, He loved us first, we love Him back. God's love is not a one-way street. It's perfected when... It's not saying that something's wrong with God's love. Means it meets, it, it reaches its intended goal when those who are loved love God back. And the way that we love God back is by keeping his commandments. So you have one person who doesn't keep the commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And you've got a person who has assurance because they know they have come to know Christ because they keep his commandments. Which person are you? Are you the first person or are you the second person? We are able to keep from sinning and to obey His commandments. The third truth. We're able to walk as He walked. Verse verse 5. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Now walk is a simple term in the Bible that doesn't talk about putting one foot in front of the other. It's not talking about going from one place to another. It's talking about living a godly life as a disciple, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you're trying to live pleasing to God, living for Him every day, taking up your cross daily and following Him. So do you believe that you are able to walk as He walked? That Jesus believed that we could walk as He walked. He says in John 8, 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God preached, I'm sorry, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, fully expecting those of Him, those followers of Him, who were transformed to be able to walk in this, the truths of this sermon. John believed we're able to walk as He walked. That's why he says in verse 6, Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Peter believed this. He says in 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. Paul believed it. He says in Romans 6.4, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 8.4, Paul called the believers people who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that raises a question. If Jesus and John and Peter and Paul didn't believe that we were able to walk in the same way in which he walked, then why would they command and exhort and encourage believers to do so? If they didn't believe that we were able to walk and they gave us these commands, you know what that would make Jesus and Paul and Peter and John? Liars. You know what that would make us? Fools for believing them. But we are able to keep from sinning. We are able to keep His commandments. And we are able to walk in the same way in which He walked. So I have some questions for us, for you. Are you putting sin to death? Are you denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Him? Are you striving for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? If not, the fight is raging. What are you waiting on? Get in the fight, man. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare that we use for the fight are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The strongholds of lust and pornography, of greed, of anger, of pride, of gossip, malice, strife, division, covetousness, Each and every sin common to man. We have weapons in the fight that destroy strongholds. Fight. Fight. Keep the faith. And watch the Lord fight for you. Now we know that in the fight sometimes we just don't rise to the occasion. Instead of fighting sin, we invite it into our home, let it sit on the couch, and we have a good time. Sometimes we lose the battle in our war against sin and the fight to follow in Christ's footsteps. So here's the fourth truth for the believer. If we sin, really that ought to say when we sin, because that's the truth. If we sin, we have an advocate. An advocate simply is a counsel for the defense. It's our defense attorney. Who is our defense attorney? Well, the scripture tells us. If anyone does sin, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ fully knows the letter and spirit of God's law. He should because he wrote it. But also he's righteous because he completely and flawlessly kept both the spirit and the letter of God's law. So he shouldn't have had to die for sin. But the text says, verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a wrath-removing sacrifice. Our advocate, he's not only our defense attorney, but he died so that he might remove the wrath that would come upon the unbeliever or us as believers when we sin. Christ Jesus bore the full wrath of God on the cross. All of it. The Bible talks about God's wrath in terms of a cup. Christ Jesus took the cup of God's wrath. He drank the whole thing down to the dregs. And then he turned the cup over to show that it was empty. 
And he rose again on the third day. In doing so, he proved that he fully atoned for our sin and he satisfied the wrath of God on our sin. If we sin, we have an advocate, one to whom we can go. And this is a glorious truth because there are times when we sin and we think, should, should, I, should I go to my advocate? <clears throat> Let's remember what Paul said, Romans 8, 33 and 34. He has this, this dialogue with himself and he asks this question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, who is it that brings charges against us? Well, it's, it's, it's our accuser, right? wants to tell us that, oh, you've sinned so egregiously that, that he's not going to want you to come to him. Christ will put you aside. But Paul responds to the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect by saying, in response, it is God who justifies. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God is able to justify sinful people because he poured out his wrath on his son, who was righteous, and now the righteousness of his son has been applied to our lives, and we are declared righteous. We are justified. So no one can bring any charge against God's elect. God justifies. Paul continues with this question, Who is to condemn the answer is no one, because Christ was condemned for us. In fact, he says, Paul, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You see, Christ's work for our justification is over and done. There's nothing else that needs to be done. But Christ's work for our sanctification and for our holiness, it continues. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us. He's our advocate that we can go to and receive forgiveness and grace. And so this raises a question for us. How consistently do you go to your advocate with your sin? How consistently do you go to your advocate with your sin? Now this, there, this has some things that I think we ought to just kind of tease out for a minute. Because often what we do with our sin is we just kind of... it's kind of like a cup of hot coffee. You know, you get that cup and you're like, ooh, ooh, hot, hot. Just hold on to it. And you hold on to it just real gingerly and then after a while it cools off and you can hold on to it just fine and then, and then you're good with it. And a lot of times we treat sin like that. Initially we feel bad about it maybe and then we just kind of sit there and don't do anything about it. And it makes me wonder about me. When I do that, what do I really say about God's holiness in my sin? When I sin, when we sin, Let's not sit there and treat it like a cup of hot coffee. Let's take it straight to our advocate and say, Jesus, it's me again. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I did. We turn to our advocate and we receive forgiveness for our sin. One final truth, and this is the truth for the unbeliever. You are outside of Christ and you have no advocate. This is a stark truth. You are outside of Christ and you have no advocate. Hebrews 9.27 says this, It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And when judgment comes, it will come on the day of your death. 
You will be brought to the bar of God's judgment. The charges against you will be read. No one will come to your defense as your advocate. It will only be you. You will be your only advocate. But you won't dare open your mouth because before a holy God you'll have nothing to say. It will be an open and shut case. And the trial will be fair. And justice will be swift. And God will sentence you to an eternity in hell. And the punishment will most definitely, perfectly fit the crimes you committed against God. But I want to tell you, this does not have to be the route in which you go. Because God, Ezekiel 33, 11, God says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is a glorious truth. God takes no pleasure in sentencing anyone to hell. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the, the wicked turn from his way and live. So I say this to you if you're an unbeliever. This is what the text says. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise to come back, Christ's return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Acts 17.30 The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, if you're an unbeliever, you don't have to perish in your sin. God takes no pleasure in condemning the wicked. Eternal life in Christ is yours full and free. If you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't, the things that I spoke just a moment ago, you will stand before your judge without an advocate, mouth closed, open and shut case, swift justice, punishment fitting the crime. You'll be declared guilty and it will be a fair trial, righteous trial, for God is fair and righteous. But for those of us who have an advocate, one day we will stand at the bar of God's judgment with our advocate. And as the charges are read, God will say, not guilty. Aren't you glad that this gives us hope today that we have an advocate who died for our sins and lives to intercede for us so that one day he can say, and even as we go to him now with our sin and say, I did it again. And, 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 and Jesus says, Father, I covered that with my death. That, that's covered. No more wrath for him. No more wrath for her. That's been covered with my death. We have an advocate in Christ Jesus. Father, don't know the condition of every person here. Maybe they've been lulled into believing that I'm just always going to sin. That's just what it's going to be. I won't experience any victory in my life. I'm always not going to be able to obey or walk as Christ walked. That's, that's just how it is. Remind them that the power 
of sin has been broken, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that we now are able not to sin. We are able to walk as Christ walked and to obey the commands you've given us. Lord, show us the truth of this. Give us willing hearts that we would be willing to take up our cross every day and follow you knowing that as we strive, the power will come from you. Show us, Father. Father, for those here that may not know Christ as Savior and Lord, Lord, burden their heart, break it, raise it to new life that they might come to know Christ Jesus, that they might have an advocate. It's in his name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand. Uh, We're going to sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. It's an appropriate song for right now, that we adore our advocate. Let's sing together. some help with uh, updating uh, the, the prayer list since I've been out of pocket. Um, ben is he's getting better. He's, he's um, I don't know all the details. So you want to share anything real quick about Ben? Right. He is in the hospital, but he is on the mend. Okay. All right. Regina, you have anything to, has he called you? Okay. Well, it, he's there's more to the situation than him just being in the hospital. So we just need to, to pray for, uh, for uh, things to improve with Ben because we love him. Um, any other updates you want to pass along? I see that Mike's on the prayer list. Pam, did you want to share anything? Okay, so, so Mike um, has, um, has had a, a liver biopsy, stage 3 scarring, 
and, and again, you don't really know what that means. Um, so just pray for uh, the biopsy results and for the doctors to know uh, what, what happens next. Yes, ma'am, Sue. Okay. Lots of prayers needed from Melanie Lear because on the 31st, that's this week, um, they'll decide whether or not she's able to get a lung transplant. Um, any others you want to, Michael? Okay, so the church is just sponsoring this fundraiser. I'm saying this for the sake of the people online. Um, sponsoring the fundraiser. Whatever money is, is given, we'll decide as a church where we're going to send that. Um, and if you'd like to, uh, if, you have, if you're not going to be there and you, you want to give, you can give to the church and just designate it for that. Uh, we'll make sure it gets to the right spot. And there could be an auction of some items. Okay, all right. Yes. See, Mary Catherine was saying that um, her brother, Porky, had a near-death experience the other day, and, and he's not saved. And so she's just crying out, um, asking us to cry out with her to God to change Porky's heart. Um, so if you want to know more of that, just for the sake of time, you might go uh, talk to Mary Catherine. But above all, her heart breaks for, for Porky, and so let's break our hearts for him as well. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. If you would, please stand. Father, we uh, thank you that um, even now as I pray, um, Christ, the head of the church, our advocate, is listening. Uh, Lord, we lift up Ben to you. We lift up Mel Melanie Lear to you. Um, Lord, we lift up our, our uh, fundraiser next week and ask God that you uh, bless it, take the money that's raised, multiply it many times over, uh, put it to good use for the good of people and for the glory of your name. And Lord, we do lift up Porky. Lord God, we, we pray. We know beyond all shadow of a doubt that when you touch a person's heart and make them new, they become new. We also know, Lord, that you don't do that apart from the preaching and the hearing of the gospel and that apart from that person rep repenting and putting faith in Christ Jesus. 
And so we ask, Lord, um, that you would break his heart, that you would make it new, that you would raise him to life, uh, that he would repent of his sins, that he would believe in Christ Jesus, Lord, that he would be a new creation. Lord, we pray for his health, Lord, that uh, you would sustain him in his health. Lord, I thank you for for this time of worship today, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together will be dismissed. And Jesus came and said to them...